So on that first Christmas, angels appeared to shepherds and said, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And we talk a lot about uh, the good news as we should, but we don't always stop to remember why that good news should fill us with great joy. So this Christmas or this Advent season, uh, what we're going to do is look at some prophecies about Christ and see how they not only brought good news into our life, but also great joy. So our first passage we're looking at is from the prophet Jeremiah. This is chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. Before we read this, let's pause for a moment in prayer. Good and gracious Father, Lord, the giver of all the good news that we have heard in our life. Father, the giver of our hope and of our peace and our joy. Father, we come to your word today to hear this good news preached, to hear this great joy. And I pray, Father, that through your spirit you would speak it into our hearts today, that you would pour that joy and that love and that good news into our hearts, and we would rejoice with you and with all the saints and angels in heaven above. Father, bless this holy reading of your holy word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I've got a saying. I want to share with you today. Maybe you heard it, maybe you haven't. It's actually a very, very old saying. It goes all the way back to ancient Israel, thousands of years old. The saying is this, the fathers eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. The fathers eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Now, I know a lot of you are wondering, well, what exactly is this saying supposed to mean? What is it supposed to communicate? Well, they talk about sour grapes and teeth being set on edge. And, and the teeth being set on edge is that reaction you get when you eat something sour, like a, well, like a sour grape. Or if your kids give you one of those Sour Patch Kids or, or just something really real sour. You know, you eat it and you go like, Ugh! you know, you kind of grit your teeth Ugh! because it gives you that reaction. It's kind of, you feel it all the way in your ears and everything. Ugh! That's teeth set on edge. Your teeth being set on edge. And it makes sense to eat sour grapes and your teeth being set on edge, but why do they say the fathers eat sour grapes 
and the children's teeth are set on edge. What they're communicating in this saying is that sometimes what the father does has a profound effect on his children. That what can happen in one generation can end up carrying over and being felt most profoundly, not in him, the one who did it, but in the children. And specifically, when this saying was created, they were talking about sin. They were talking about the father committing a sin and the children paying the penalty. The father eats sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Now, just in case you think this is kind of like some ancient superstition, uh, old way of thinking, science and psychology has actually demonstrated that this is actually kind of true. That things that the father does or even the mother or the grandparents or great-grandparents can have a profound effect on the children as they grow up, especially when we're talking about the consequences of sin. Some people call it, you'll hear some churches talk about generational curses. And they've actually, we're talking about these tendencies that appear in families over and over and over again, almost like passed down like through your genetics. And, and, they, and they've seen this, they've witnessed this through science and psychology, these tendencies that show up in families over and over and over again. You see things like alcoholism passed on through family lines. You see addiction passed on through family lines. You see abuse passed on through family lines. Even some things like, like, like uh, trouble with marriages or adultery, things like that, passed on through family lines. And that's what gave rise to the saying, the fathers eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are the ones that are set on edge. Doesn't seem fair, does it? That the children should be on the hook for their father's sins. And that's something we see happen in, in cultures across the world. In fact, we're debating this on a national scale right now in our own culture. And we're asking ourselves, how much is one generation alive today accountable for the sins that previous generations committed? How much is one group how much are they on the hook for the sins that their ancestors, the things, wrong things they did to another group of people here in America today? And we're having this debate and we're asking ourselves, are the father's sins now passed on to the sons and the grandsons and the great-grandsons? Are you on the hook for your father's sins? Well, I told you we're preaching good news today, right? So I've got some good news for you. The answer is No. You are not on the hook for your father's sins. You're not on the hook for anybody's sins. In fact, I like to say I have enough sin of my own to be responsible for. I certainly don't want to be responsible for people that came before me and even my great-great-grandfather whom I never met. I got enough of my own to deal with. I don't need to deal with theirs either, and this is actually biblical. From the prophecy of Jeremiah, right before we read our passage today, the Lord said, no more. Shall a father eat sour grapes and his teeth be set on edge? Now when the father eats sour grapes, his teeth, his teeth only, will be set on edge. But this is more than good news. This, I believe, is a reason for great joy. See, when Jesus came to this earth, and when he died on our behalf, we were given forgiveness for our sins. My sins, your sins, 
These were all forgiven and they were paid by Christ. And this is a good news that we are quite familiar with. And rightfully so, we talk about it a lot. But we don't always quite understand why this is not only good news, this is a reason for great joy. And it's a great joy not just because the sins are forgiven, because what that forgiveness does for our lives and the lives of our children and grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren way on down the line. This is a reason for great joy. And we don't always think about the joy associated with it because I don't think we quite understand all that happened when we were forgiven of our sins. We don't understand all the consequences that were wiped free. We don't understand all the freedom that was given to us because we don't quite fully understand what happens to us even when we do sin. Now normally when we talk about sin, we talk about it in terms of debt. Like when you sin, you are now in debt to God. Like you do something wrong, now you actually owe God, so now you are a debtor. And we actually use that phrase in our Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us what we owe just as we forgive those who owe to us. And this is a great way of looking at sin as something we owe. Because when Christ came and when he died and gave his forgiveness, he erases the debt. So we had this debt that we owe to God. Then Christ came and he paid that debt for us because we couldn't pay it. So that's the first thing you have to understand about this debt. It's not just something we owe. This is a debt we cannot repay because you and I aren't good enough to do it. You and I are not a sacrifice worthy. We could give our whole life and we still not could repay the debt that we have to God because of the sin of our life. Only Christ could pay the debt. And he did pay the debt. And when we are given forgiveness, our debt to Jesus is forgiven. Now, that's a great picture, a great way to look at it. But see, the modern practice of borrowing and indebtedness or indebtedness does not really give us the accurate picture, the full picture and comparison of what actually happens or can happen when our debt is forgiven. So you, you owe money, right? You have a debt. You owe money. Now, imagine it's a debt you can't pay back. Now, if we can't pay that back as we can't pay God back, there's always consequences. There's a consequence if you can't pay your debt. If it's a debt on the car, they can take the car. If it's a debt on the house, they can take the house. If there's a debt on your business, they can take your business. If you don't have anything, well, they can give you bad credit. But in our, in our world today, we've got bankruptcy laws. We've got all kinds of laws protecting people that you can't come in if you owe money, that no one can come in and start tearing your house up and stealing things and, and breaking your fingers and breaking your arms. We've got laws that we try to be civilized about our debt. But it wasn't always this way. Debt used to have far greater consequences if you were unable to pay your debt. Not too long ago, there was something called debtor's prison. Whereas if you couldn't pay your debt, you could actually go to jail for that. And you would spend time because you could not pay your debt. Further back in time, like around the time of Jesus, you could be enslaved if you couldn't pay your debt. It was called indentured servitude. And you could serve a term and have to be a slave to the person you owed money to until that debt was paid back. Now under Jewish law, there was a very limited time that you could be a slave because of debt. It was only a seven-year period. 
that you could do this. But under Roman law, the time when Jesus came, there was no such limit. Which meant if you owed a debt to someone and you couldn't repay it, they could take everything. Take everything, including you. And you could be a slave. Your wife could become a slave. And your children would become a slave. Not for seven years, not for ten years, but you would be a slave forever. And whatever class you occupied in Roman society, you were no longer that class. Now you belong to the slave class. And your children were slaves, your grandchildren would be slaves, and your great-grandchildren would be slaves too. So one day this child would look up and ask his mom, Mom, how come we're slaves? And the answer was, your great-grandfather couldn't pay his debt. That's the kind of debt that we owe to God. That is the kind of debt that we get into because of sin. See, when we, we sin, it's not just we owe God something. We just got to pay him back a little bit for the sin that we've done. When we sin, we give ourselves into the power of the evil one. We give ourselves into the power of evil. We belong now to the kingdom of darkness and become enslaved to those dark powers through the sins that we commit. This is why God makes such a big deal about sin. This is the why he encourages us over and over again not to, not to sin, and gives us ways out not to sin. It's not because we're just doing things on the naughty list and he doesn't like it. It's because we're making ourselves slaves. Because we're giving ourselves to the power of evil. We're choosing the way of evil rather than the way of God. And we're acting in rebellion rather than as children of God, and we give ourselves to bondage to evil. And we become slaves to it. We become chained to it. And it rules over us. And it has generational consequences in our life. Not only does it rule over us, it begins to rule over our children. And we pass that down to grandchildren, even great-grandchildren. And it completely stifles our life. It keeps us from growing. It keeps us from real change. It keeps us from being the people that we're supposed to be. And we find ourselves making the same mistake over and over and over again. And we wondered, why am I still making the same mistake over and over again? We get into the same habits. We get addicted to the same kinds of people. And we pass those tendencies down to our children. And we get stuck in this cycle making the same mistakes again and again and we can't help it because we're slaves so this is the miracle of forgiveness the miracle of forgiveness we have in Christ not only is your debt paid but you were set free from the bondage of sin Scripture tells us that you have been released from the kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of the light of the children of God. You can become a new person now. You are a new creation. You are a new human being through what Christ Jesus did for us. In Jeremiah that we read today, he talks of a new covenant. Not like the old covenant that was broken. There is a new covenant coming. It's going to make you into new people. This is a covenant of grace. It's a covenant of forgiveness. And it's going to be written in your hearts. No longer do you have to know about the law. No one has to tell you about the law. Because it says the Spirit of God is going to write it in your hearts. This is what he says. Jeremiah 33. Sorry, 34. 
And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Did you catch that part at the end? I will remember their sin no more. It's not just forgiven. It's forgotten by God. You could come to God and say, well, Lord, what about this sin? What about that sin? And God will say, I don't know what you're talking about. Because he forgets it completely. And his mind is not like it never happened. It did never happen. It's not just the debt that is paid. It's the penalty that is paid. The spiritual consequences of sin have been erased through the work of Jesus Christ. So we can become new people. So we can become a new creation. And because we're freed, you don't have to go back to those old habits. You don't have to go back to that way of life. You don't have to do something because your father did it. You don't have to do something because your grandfather did it. You don't have to do something because this is the way your family's always acted or even because this is the way you've always acted. Because you've been set free. And you have been made a new creation. Now, I know what some of you may be asking yourselves. Is this, if I'm set free, if I know Christ is my Savior and I've been forgiven and I've been set free, then why do I keep going back to those same things? Why do I keep going back to those same habits? If Christ has indeed set free, if what you're saying is true, and I'm a new creation, and I've been set free, then why do I keep going back to those same things over and over again, just like when I was a slave to sin? It's a different question now, though. Before, you had no choice because you were under the dominion and rule of sin. But now in Christ, you might go back to that again, but now you have a choice. The question you should be asking is not be asking God, God, why do I go back to this again? Because he set you free. You should be asking yourself that question. So why do you go back to it? If you've been set free, why do we go back to it? And there's a lot of reasons why we do it. Sometimes it's just habit. We're used to it. And it's a comfortable place for us. And so we go back to it again and again. Sometimes it's the way we were taught. It's the way we were raised. Sometimes we've been deceived by the enemy to think this is who you really are. So it keeps pushing us back again and again to those old same bad habits and ways of life. Sometimes the enemy deceives us and tells us that you are not really free after all. Sometimes we don't fully understand how Christ has set us free. Sometimes a part of us even just likes the old habit. And goes back again for that reason. But you are free. You are free. You have been set free from anything that had a hold on your life before you knew Christ. You have been set free. You don't have to do those things anymore. You don't have to be that person anymore. Because you've been set free. You don't have to go back to that addiction that you can't shake. You don't have to go back to that drink that you believe has got a complete hold on your life. You don't have to go back to that guy that treats you like garbage. You don't have to go back to that girl that makes your head crazy. Because Christ has set you free. 
You don't have to go back to that website that fills you with shame every time you look at those pictures. You can't go, you don't have to go back to that habit you can't seem to break. You don't have to go back to doing that thing that fills you with guilt every time you do it because you have been set free. You don't have to go back to those dark thoughts and be held prisoner by them anymore. You don't have to be held down by those feelings of worthlessness. You don't have to listen to that voice in your head that says you're no good. You don't have to believe that lie anymore that says that you're stuck and that life is never going to get better, that you're all alone, and that no one loves you. You don't have to be captive anymore by the memories of what you did way back when. You're not that person anymore. You've been made new. You've been set free. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. See, this isn't just good news. It's a reason for great joy. You're made a new creation. You're not stuck in a cycle anymore. You're not trapped in the old mistakes. You don't have to suffer for the sins of your father anymore. You have been forgiven. And you have been set free. Now none of this happens apart from Jesus Christ. It was his coming into the world. It was his life. It was his death. It was his resurrection. It is his continual grace that makes this possible inviting him into your life as savior that you are set free and it's living with him as your lord that he makes you new and every day continues to make you a new creation you can see it was good reason for good reason that christmas is the biggest holiday of the year this is big news and what we celebrate here is the biggest reason to celebrate. The day that good news and great joy just didn't come into the world, came into your life. So friends, hear this good news. Know this good news. Live this good news. And let your life be filled with joy. To God be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.